Hey, music lovers, the Cannamom Show podcast in collaboration with Lambkin Guitars is giving away a custom-built, one-of-a-kind electric guitar built by Josh Lampkin. The solid one-piece hemp wood body includes a built-in glass bowl piece. Yeah, you heard me right. You can take a hit and then play a lick. Now's your chance to help the Cannamom Show crush cannabis stigma with your entry. Register for the Hemp Guitar Giveaway online at lampkinguitars.com. That's L-A-M-K-I-N guitars.com. The drawing will be part of a 420 celebration at the Goods Dispensary in Somerville, Massachusetts, where the guitar is on display for the month of April. But don't worry, you don't have to live in Mass or be present to win. Visit LampkinGuitars.com to scope out the Hemp Guitar giveaway details and entry form. You'll even find a video of what could be your guitar in action. L-A-M-K-I-N-Guitars.com If you're a cannabis business owner looking to expand into new markets and need guidance and support you can trust, consider Collateral Base a group that has done it before in multiple merit-based and limited market states. Collateral Base was founded by an experienced cannabis attorney with highly educated consultants with master's degrees and years of experience in the cannabis industry. The Collateral Base team is confident they know cannabis licensing better than any of their peers. And I encourage you to see for yourself. It just takes one phone call. If you're ready to expand your cannabis business into new limited markets, contact Collateral Base today at 309-306-1095. That's 309-306-1095. Or visit collateralbase.com. Welcome. You're listening to Casually Baked, the podcast. Home base for the can of curious. Thanks for tuning in. It's high time. We had a high time. Together. Together. Yes, it's a high time. We had a high time. Hi, y'all. I'm Joe, your host and Cannabis Lifestyle Guide. If you pay attention to cannabis news, then you've already heard that Circle K convenience stores have partnered with Chicago-based corporate cannabis giant Green Thumb Industries to bring cannabis to gas stations in Florida in the new year. Now, you won't be able to just walk into a Circle K and buy weed while you're pumping gas, though that's what headline readers might think. Ten locations will be operated by GTI as independent medical dispensaries called Rise Express. There will be a separate entrance into the dispensary, and customers must show their Florida medical cannabis card to enter. And Circle K is fired up and ready to roll this deal out in other states. To me, this is foreshadowing for the massive takeover of sacred plant medicine by the corporate behemoths. Is it good to have cannabis in highly visible locations? Certainly. But it's equally as imperative to preserve the history and culture of cannabis and to understand the ramifications of corporatizing cannabis and the trade-off of quality for quantity. Deals like this undermine the small legacy cannabis farmers who got this party started 
who've spent generations growing the plant honorably in harmony with nature. Some of you might call me alarmist, but we're already watching history get whitewashed before our eyes. And I personally know cannabis farmers who are unsure if they can afford to stay in the game another growing season. So today, you and I are making a trip up the mountain to talk with a couple of cannabis farmers about the hard work, hardships, and ingenuity of staying relevant in an industry that's going off the rails. I visited Teddy and Reggie of Canna Country Farms in Humboldt County, California at the beginning of harvest season. We talk about the timing of harvesting flour and the effects that has on the high. We discuss cannabis genetics, energy use and cannabis cultivation, indoor versus full-term sun-grown, and other small factors that add up to a big difference. And because growing cannabis is only half the process, we discuss drying and curing techniques for you newbies and at-home growers. But first, a word from our sponsor, MJ Relief, the muscle rub PhD formulated for what aches and pains you. And this week, we're celebrating a huge win for one of our first beta customers. On October 8, 2022, Tom DeBrun earned the title of Ironman World Champion. Now, this is a guy who wasn't much of a swimmer and didn't even own a bike seven years ago. Tom plays hard, trains hard, and knows the importance of muscle recovery. So in the early days, we had him test out MJ Relief. And this is what he said, quote, I've been using this muscle rub for several months, and I love it. It has successfully helped me with sore muscles and little aches resulting from my demanding Ironman triathlon training. I would recommend this muscle rub to anyone. It's one of the most effective CBD-based formulations on the market, end quote. MJ is strong enough for performance athletes like Tom and gentle enough for sensitive skin like mine. Head over to mjskinrelief.com to learn more and to purchase a tanner tube for your own gym bag. Use promo code CASUALLYBAKED to save 10% on your order. And if you're listening on your phone, scroll down in the podcast app you're using to see the episode notes where you'll find links to this offer and more from other Casually Baked partner brands. Shopping podcast affiliates is a win-win because you saving money on the things you want supports the production of this show. And if you're picking up what I'm putting down, please rate and review Casually Baked the Podcast on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. That one small action helps other canna-curious folks find this highly responsible cannabis content. Now let's go to Canna Country and explore our favorite plant through the experience of farmers whose bond with cannabis and the land runs three generations deep. Not only do we discuss the farming and business of cannabis, but also the tough conversations and family sacrifice involved in maintaining this way of life. So smoke them if you got them and settle in. It's time to get casually baked. It's a time We had a high time Together Together So I would like to talk about First start out your relationship And how y'all have created your little can of country team What y'all are focusing on 
to give us an idea of the behind the scenes stuff. It's not just growing weed. Oh, it's two friends that were mutually brought together by other people in the community and then having the opening of legalization also with the Humboldt County's like task force of uh of um letters out to everybody who still has hoops up that are trying to make a living and Reggie was working for one of those people and we just we came together here I had an opportunity um and we just decided to to work together and we've always been friends and we always loved the plant so for us it was you know always about the plant so it was an immediate connection um how long have y'all been working together i like four years yeah intensively yeah more intensively he's of course on the mountain all the time and we did a big breeding project that we're still filtering through since then and so now we're we're still um, making seeds but doing it more in a commercial way of like we've done the pheno hunting and now it's making seeds to get out to the people and we're always concerned with um, establishing our ip and protecting it with the foresight of getting it to people that that then want to pay for that and commercialize it themselves for instance being a humboldt farmer that you know, this is your whole life. You've lived here. This is what you've done. Are these steps the steps you know that you have to take in order to continue this way of life? Or is this just like what excites you and has taken you down that path? Uh, that's a little of both. <laughs> it is exciting. Pheno hunting wasn't something I was doing. Um, the reason we got into that, or I think the reason that we got into that was for me, I was really tired of chasing the new strain, the named strain, the popular strain. And it so often changed that um, you'd finally get the cut that you wanted and plant it. And now that wasn't the thing everybody wanted. So we're just constantly chasing what's new, what's the hype strain, what can we get that we know will sell. And um, <clears throat> just seeing the the little bit of the future and what's going on with the herb situation, we opted to not go down the mainstream and do what everyone else was doing. And so Reggie came up and we got together a game plan of some different crosses that we wanted to try out. And so that just evolved into making 305 different strains one year up here. And then it takes a long time to categorize them put them away, dry them, store them, and then crack those seeds and try and get those phenos out that we know that they're in there. We just have to crack the seeds and find them. So it was it was just not going down the mainstream and trying to find what started us out, what we liked. Basically, instead of chasing what someone else liked, we were decided that let's breed something that we like, even though we know I could really affect the way the farm works because if we don't have something that someone wants then now we're really trying to promote something that no one knows about but it also was like 
You can die slowly by chasing the dragon or trying to find the strain. You can hopefully sell and it's getting harder and harder and harder to sell and harder to find that strain. Or we can go back to our roots and what we used to do, taking what someone else has created and trying to do better with it and come up with something new. So that was kind of our like idea of getting into this. So then that one year when you said like 305 different varietals, what? Mm -hmm. so that kicked off this ride that you're now on. So now four years later, how many of those are you focusing on? How's your trajectory changed because of that? We cracked so far into 49 of the envelopes and it was 305 just um, seed mothers but then there was like 25 different name brand public domain clones as well at least there was sfv and gelato and skittles and even um d-lime yep dosi dough and yep and all sorts of different things so we've kept 11 keepers out of the 49 different envelopes that we opened up Okay. One out of nine different ones and two out of the Forbidden Cherimoya, which is the number 26, the 26th envelope to get opened up. Okay, that's how the numbers came about. Yeah, the, basically we had 305, and as Reg was putting them into envelopes, he was writing down number one and whatever that cross was. And so that's how we opened them up. We opened up by not by the number picking the number but picking the lineage and like what do we want to play with this year let's get some blueberries let's get some of the key limes let's get some of the sfes and let's crack those phenos out and see what comes out of them so that was kind of how it started new faces on recognizable names and it's something unique to the environment here and adapted more to here is what our goal is bioregionally acclimated genetics yeah, and, and talking about number 26, that forbidden fruit to me is one of the most recognizable terpene profiles. And so like just standing outside and being near that garden number one, that smell just kind of comes over you and it's such a beautiful fragrance. So what are the things that you like about the ones y'all are really focusing on right now? They've all had to smoke really good. Like that's the final make it or break it. That's the the weeks we spend on R&D is coming up with the kill list first. And it's those ones that didn't match our smoking quality and user experience that we're after. And then we're like, oh, how does it grow? You know, it's like, okay, we look at our resistance notes. Yep. Yeah. What's the structure like of the, of the flower? What's the plant structure like? What's the timing like on it? Is it a late one? Is it early? Just all of the things, all of the different faces of the phenos that come out. So I can imagine that something might smoke really well, but might be a pain in the ass to grow. Then what do you do? 26, she grows good, but there's a lot of like factors. The keeper of the 2020 um, pheno hunt, she grows like a fountain. She grows up to fall down. She like doesn't care. There's very little structure on structure of, of one to five. It was like a one. Like, yeah, oh yeah. Absolute just support needed. Jungle. She just grow and fall over, grow up and fall over, grow up and fall over. She twists at maturity. She like faces down and she's a train wreck morphology where she doesn't change her leaf or anything. She just keeps growing straight, but she's facing the ground. 
versus the 2019 version has way more form, holds itself up like a normal plant, looks like a better Harder, bud. bigger bud, butter structure. Crystallier. Yep. Different, a little different hair look, but in a different bud structure and a, the, the plant has smaller leaves and uh, it's, it's really similar, but totally different all at the same time. Okay, so then if that's the number 26 in 2019 versus 2020, then does all of a sudden, does it get a new number? 26 plant A, no, 8 yeah. versus 26 <laughs> plant 24, but that's the 26 everybody knows these days. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think I saw something on your Instagram page where you had one of those flowers. You put it on a plate and just added a little water to it. Oh, yeah. To just like see that bright purple color just yeah come pouring was, out of it it was so pretty that was discovered when we went fishing one time on my buddy's boat and i'm rolling one up in his cabin and you know it's windy and it's wet and it's the ocean so i you know i get it twisted up the wind blows a little bit that some of the weed falls on the floor and i get the joint rolled all right great we go out on the on the deck and we're smoking it we're catching fish and we're running back and forth from the cabin and we look down and it's the the little bit of herb that blew off of the tray is on the floor and it's bleeding down the white deck purple. And this was just with salt water. And so we were like, whoa, holy crap. You know, I knew it was kind of bleed through the paper, but I'd never gotten it wet, wet. And it on white floor, it was just this purple wine just cascading down the floor and everyone was just like wow what the hell is that and so i decided to take actually reggie had made some pollen and we had pollinated a branch and i was pulling the seeds out of it and crushing it up and then i decided well i'm not going to smoke that but let me see what it does with some water and so i put that on instagram and it was just like wine coming out of it it's really cool and i want to try and find that to keep that in and make hash to kind of find the, a, a process that a hash process that keeps that color in it. I don't know how, if it's out there, but that's my goal. When you were saying that, I'm like, Oh my God, that would be beautiful hash. Yeah. I, I hope to find it someday. There's some, there's some maker out there that'll take that and make it into something beautiful and special. I know it. Yeah. Just got to find it. So, you know, we are at harvest season things are happening and there's a lot of at-home gardeners that finally have some plants that they're excited about and then they're just hesitating because they don't know when to take them and we were talking earlier about there really are ramifications of taking a plant early or a little bit later so will you educate us on all of that well, what I've seen for like an early harvest maximizes flavor, and this is within the window of ripe. It um, maximizes the storability, but that's a function, again, of how you store it. And um, it's a, often a racier, quicker high that has less duration. And then at some point in the harvest window, the terpenes turn a little bit more um, resinous through the joint and not as uh, flavorful for the whole joint. But the high is much longer and a little more subdued. It's kind of the rocket ship high, that early high. Yeah. And some people don't like it because it makes their heart race. Yeah, it is an uppity high. And I think the longer it stays in the ground, the better terps that come out of it. And also, I think it has a little better storage myself. But that's just personal. Well, and how do you 
how do you see that? What are you looking at structurally of the flower before you get out your like jeweler's loop? Yeah. Well, outdoor, it's often conditions permitting. And so depending on your environment, if you're in a moldier environment, like towards the coast, you often don't have the luxury of leaving it as long. Where Canna Country is, is a very special microclimate because it's got some coastal impression is like a little more moisture in the air, but compared to the coast, it's very dry and cooler and hotter. And so you got a lot more leeway for leaving a plant in the ground, for instance. And so um, really like if you start seeing, like when I use the scope, um, it's not to see the resin glands because that's a process that will continue after you harvest it as long as you're not damaging it. And it'll still mature over the next few weeks. Like um, the, the resin, the crystals will apparently come out, but I'm looking for potential mold spores and stuff in there. So it's conditions permitting when you're a sun growing farmer. So you might not have a chance to leave it in like we do and let it go to full maturity. But you're looking at some of the hairs and the color and if they're coming through with new ones or if it's completely done, there's not another hair coming in. Now you're, you're full potential, you know, you're full maturity at that point. So just kind of looking at, depending on the, the strain as well, your density, uh, your mold factors. There's a lot of factors to factor in to see if you can cut, have to cut early or or can let it go full term. Hairs can be quite deceiving depending on the time of year and the crop that you're running. If and it's the like, weather. You yeah, know, and the weather. You get rain, you're going to have those hairs damaged and they're going to look done and they're probably not done. They've just been kind of beat on for a minute. So The classic Humboldt test, I called it the Humboldt dick finger test where they just <laughs> squeeze a bud. <laughs> and when I first came, I was a little offended, like dick finger in the bud, but it works for Humboldt County. If it can't get any harder, it won't get any yeah, harder. Exactly. It's done. It's done. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. That's uh, that's a pretty good visual. We all yeah. get it. <laughs> and I think it's fascinating how the smoke is different. Like I didn't know that, but I have smoked things before that I feel make me racier. But I just always assumed that was the terpene profile. I didn't know that there's a added layer of nuance that had to be from the maturity of the plant when it was harvested. I wonder if it is. It could be the terpene to cannabinoid ratio even to me because it's lower cannabinoids but a higher terpene ratio at that point. And then a lot of the terpenes. Yeah, but that's interesting because we had that test done with the the dep in the full term and the terpene profile was way less than the the full term. In the short season pots. And it was pulled where I like it. I didn't let it go to full maturity where it's molding and it's done. I, I wanted it at its peak hardness and also at its peak smell. And I thought, well, I nailed it. And then we tested it and it was 40% less. It was a lot different, yeah. you know? So there's that too, that, you know, you just be blown away by a, a short-term, full-term. Yeah, full-term in the ground versus a soilless or a peat-based soil mix in a container. Yeah, big-time difference. Huge, huge difference. Well, and there's, you maybe met him because I know um, Johnny Casali at Huckleberry Hill Farms was working with, uh, I think the guy's a chemist Colin on the East Knuckles. Coast. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we know Colin. Yeah, he does a lot of testing for us. Yeah, so, yeah, I he's mean. he's an amazing guy. And the, you know, the stats don't lie. 
right? Yep. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of terpene profiles that California doesn't test for. That's one of the things that he likes to point out, and we agree. You know, if a plant's dominant in its terpenes and it's not getting tested for it, then it's not potentially getting the information that it needs. You and know, people basing buying decisions on COAs is just ridiculous and he points it out is it restricted to only a certain terpene profile or even cannabinoid profile too like the incomplete picture they're yeah portraying is something it's something that you have to buy by but it's not actually have all the information in it well and you know that's the nature of this legal cannabis market that we live in where we have an oversupply of flour and not enough places that are able to sell it you know i mean it's like they create problems or there are places that just get paid to have shelf space a lot of big brands so quality doesn't matter if you are a nike fan or i don't know if it's whatever then you're gonna go look for that you know no matter what you're gonna buy it and so if you're not nike you're gonna have a hard time getting it out there to people because there are the big brands that are paying for the shelf space and for bud tenders to push it. They get incentives and or vacation or whatever. And um, so you're going to go in as a consumer, not knowing maybe what you want and you want to hear what the bud tender has to say, well, they're going to push their brand on you before anything else. Well, and this is the problem that I have with all of the celebrity brands. The majority of them probably don't know shit about the flower that their name gets put on, though they I'm sure they went to the farm and glad-handed folks and smoked a joint or two, but for me I'm just like I don't give a shit what Chelsea Handler is smoking. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I want sun-grown flower and i want to have those choices when i go into a dispensary but there's so many people that haven't had the luxury of visiting farms and and having full-term cannabis like i have and so then they don't know to ask for that stuff or what they see in the store they think this must be the best shit right well sun-grown is just gotten a bad name in California right now. Um, if it's not a hype thing to talk about, it's not talked about. So it seems like indoors wrapped about, indoors talked about, and that's what people are 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 seeing. Like THC, the things that are are really getting shout out to them is what they're hearing. So I can't blame them. They're just uneducated. Well, how is SunGrown getting a bad name when we know how much energy is used to make indoor cannabis? I think it's not that it's a bad name. I think that they're just pushing indoor so much that it's just crowding it out. I don't know that anyone has anything bad to say about it except for it doesn't look like indoor. But people who smoke it get higher off of it than indoor. And it's a way better product for you to smoke. There's no sprays here on the farm, and it's grown in the environment that we're in, which is, you know, a living ecosystem versus a, a noisy, light fan, hydroponically grown with salts. So there, there's a big difference in living soil and the environment, your terroir that you're in, the water that you give it. You know, a lot of those places probably have chlorine in the water and things they're watering off of the city water and all those little things add up to a lot. 
and in the end we're rainwater catchment we're off grid here completely solar we've been working our soil for 12 years and we're coming up with strains nobody has and we're not naming our strains they're numbers and so we're just trying to go a different route than the mainstream is and so we're going to get noticed at some point but it's the majority still mainstream and as soon as they can see that we branched off then other people might follow and you never know yeah well i applaud what y'all are doing here and you recently mentioned that you had gotten the license to have your own commercial greenhouse nursery and i think washington state's already like kind of teed up the interstate commerce thing when federal legalization happens i just read that um newsom did something similar in california so teeing up these states to be able to get these genetics and this flower to other places so that the emerald triangle southern humboldt the things that do make canna country special will then be able to be shared elsewhere so is that something that with this new license will you be able to then be an interstate player or are they going to create some other fucking license to have to do that do y'all know that yet i have no idea no i've only seen one proposal of being able to cross state lines but it was direct to consumer sales for small farms once it goes federally legal right now i don't i don't think anybody can well, no, you can't do it yet, but you know it's just one of those things where when you are a small family farm, you are having to think three and four yeah. steps ahead so that you can... Well, that's why we have our nursery license now. First of all, it takes forever to get it. And so we applied two years ago for it because this is what you're saying. Like We have to be steps ahead. And so what did we see coming? Flower losing its power. Genetics gaining some momentum Um, with the flower. There's really only so many avenues you can go down and they've been pinched off. So as soon as the flower wasn't uh, in demand, now everybody's trying to figure out how to preserve it. So now hash has gone Everybody put it into hash and everybody put it into oil. And now, so all those are flooded. So everything is flooded. There's no more avenues to go so what are we going to do we're going to go work on genetics even though they're probably people thinking the same thing and doing it we didn't see a big race to that yet but knew it was coming so we wanted to start it and get those genetics going and enter them into contests and see how people react to them and so far we've got a couple emerald cup placings and uh, breeders cup awards and we're going to start entering into more contests just to to widen the profile of it, yeah. you know. Yeah, you got to play those games, get the publicity. And I think another big hurdle, too, is just educating the consumer market on the importance of good genetics and, you know, growing their own flower and creating their own medicine. Because it's like, if I can't get what I want from a dispensary, then I'll just get the seeds that I want and grow it myself. But I, f- I feel like for the average Joe, that seems like, wow, it's, that's challenging. That's a hard thing to do to grow weed. But um, I love when people do it because they usually come back and say, 
damn, I didn't know it was so tough, especially <laughs> to make it perfect. Uh, you know, no, like, right. yeah, well, we're trying to preserve a perishable here in its perfectness. Well, most people have been told about weed farmers. You just throw it in the ground and you just get its money tree. <laughs> and it's so not that way. No. Johnny at Huckleberry Hill Farm has a really good idea. He has his puck that he puts a seed in. And so for a, a rookie, let's say, or a greenhorn that wants to go in and try and, you know, get a, a strain and grow it, that's a great idea. You have your seed and your puck right there's your start. And then, you know, other people have talked about other things. I won't mention packs of things because I don't want to step on any toes. But it's going to get easier for people that want to grow to just grow on their patio or you know somewhere if they're just in an apartment and they get a little sun they can shove it outside on their little porch and grow their little plant and you know so th that's coming i think more and more people want to do it even if they don't know what they're doing yeah and i did get some of those pucks cool. so one thing that i'm asking people about is what genetics do i need to be growing in a super hot climate that doesn't get cool relief at night because everything that I love to smoke is grown up in these parts. And I'm like, this is not what my environment is now. Lake County. Ask the guys in Lake County because it doesn't cool down as much at night there either. And okay. so we have a list of things that we know make it. Okay. I know a few folks in Lake County. You know, we were talking indoor versus sun grown. I want to talk a little bit about kilowatt hours, the amount of energy it takes to grow cannabis indoors, along with the fact that, you know, plants are sentient beings. And if you've got like somebody playing death metal as they're watering the plants or whatever, there's so many factors that I think play into making one superior to the other. But the thing that's so big right now is everybody's concerned about energy. And we need to move to electric cars. And in the cannabis world, to me, that's sucking all of the energy out of the process. So you're involved in some of this stuff. You can articulate it yep. better than well, I am. Tell me what... To figure out the grams per mm -hmm. kilowatt hour yeah. is like a functional thing to like... Because not all indoors are created the same. And, and there's a lot of choices on all sorts of equipment and... Um, where you're doing it, how much you need to do for cooling the room or heating the rooms or drying the rooms. And so there's a lot of choices and there's like software that's making it easier, plug and play. So you can actually see the ramifications of all the different choices, but it also boils down to your methods of like how much yield you're getting, of course, for the amount of space you're getting. To me, I don't know that the general public quite understood the energy intensity with growing when they said yes to the vote of like let's free the plant and it's one of those things that is definitely needed an education campaign is needed there are fierce proponents of indoor agriculture because that's what they've known and there's certain places that do need to do it to bring clean herb to the people but this plant is only inside or ran inside because of fear it was fear of the helicopter seeing it. It was fear of like the inclement weather. And in some places, like I say, it's warranted. So it's a decision that needs to be made by the, I think, the consumers. And that's why an eco rating would be really cool. But like this ripples through all sorts of packaging and consumer packaged goods and products that we have a, a potential to buy. There should be an eco rating on almost everything to me. Absolutely. Well, and, I, you know, I, you don't even think about it 
whenever you're going in to make a purchase, I mean, it's not like the packaging says that this is indoor cannabis. You're not even seeing that. Now, if it's sun-grown, I tell people all the time, you'll know if it's sun-grown because they're going to put it on the packaging. Everybody else is going to let you think whatever you want to think so that you buy their flower. It's funny, too, because the buyers really, like what we're working on is what's called faker weed, and it's like the the highest end outdoor can be sold as depth sun or grown. indoor <laughs> sun grown. Yeah, exactly. And that in the depth fakers are, can go as indoor too. So all the buyers, they want things that will pass as indoor because that's the password to get the most money for your herb. And that's also what's going to go fastest, be sold fastest. Because of all these artists, again, all this like conditioning from like people that people respect the influencers singing about indo and singing about yep. hydro even in the reggae world and stuff it's like mystifying to me and to me it's a no-brainer that it's one of these educational things that i'm so surprised it it hasn't hit like a, a viral like you explain this to somebody and all of a sudden they're like okay well let me try the sun growing and if the sun growing matches up to some sort of quality which we're tainted we know that the best sun grown in the world. So like to us, we haven't had the brown weed from Eastern Washington or Texas or any of these places. We've had good green bud from the get go. And so sun grown, we like feel like the entire process because we're part of it. And that's part of the education campaign too. It's a part of nature, not a part from nature, which like um, indoor stuck in a box. Like, right. Jail. Yeah plant jail it is well, we're out here in the sun growing harmoniously with the environment yeah where we were just watching the fog, fog rolling over the ridge mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. the south winds pick up a little and you can feel the you can almost smell the coast coming in but yet it's 85 degrees yeah and sunny well and that's so going back to just stressing the the amount of energy that's used to grow your flower or the the type of soil that it's grown in or whatever like all of these things there's a thousand different little nuances that give us our finished product and we don't have an educated enough consumer base to really think that through my analogy is like people are playing checkers but it's a game of chess so what are the things the intelligent question that might even trip up a bud tender but if we want this to change, we have to go in and use our voice. So, you know, you mentioned something that I thought was really clever about going in and asking about the flower that you're buying. Yeah, Doug, our, our buddy from Bovida, came um, onto the mountain and he learned about full term and he learned about sun growing versus indoor. And then he went down to um, Santa Rosa and he went into the dispensary and he asked, he said, hey, you got any of that full term from the Emerald Triangle? And the manager was there and she tried to show him things that he was like, nope, that's not what I'm looking for. Not yep. what I saw on the mountain. Yep. Then he said, and she tried to push him towards some indoor and he said, well, if you can tell me how many kilowatt hours was used to make that eighth, I'll buy them all. <laughs> he, he stumped her. <laughs> yeah. And I, I mean, that's good. I want people to do that. I want people to go in and 
ask for a specific farm. Like I'm looking for can of country number 26. Like ask for what you want because a lot of times you're right. The shelf space has just been reserved. That's funny you said that because my mom just went into a local dispensary that holds my product. And she said, do you have any of that can of country? And, and the bud tender was like, yeah, we have some. It's over there. That was it. And they didn't they didn't have any more conversation about it or education. They didn't try and sell her on it. They were just like, yeah, it's over there. So it really comes down to the education comes from the bud tender. If you get a bud tender that's really there for the cause, you're going to be talking about everybody's farm. But if they're just there because they like that one strain and that's what they're going to push, then that's what they're there for. And there's such turnover in the dispensaries, it's hard to keep staff. And so when you've got just these big MSOs that have the marketing budget to send people in to do demos once a week, that's the stuff everybody's going to know about. Yeah, true. Yeah, we don't have time to do that on the farm. No. We're kind of busy. (laughs) <laughs> no, we'll have to get brand ambassadors. Smoke our weed and Yeah, it's just uh yeah, it's just a sticky wheel out there for sure. Yeah. I've been told you have to send what was the quote for every pound that they get, you need to send fifty to a hundred promos, <laughs> meaning like pre rolls or something for the bud tenders. This was from a guy who ran a dispensary and he was trying to tell me what would make it work. And then <laughs> when he told me the price, because their their tiers are not based on quality, it's based on whether or not it was growing in the sun yeah. or growing indoors and all the different tiers and their multiplier is 2.5, often a little more. Then he was trying to tell me a price that would make it work that was less than actually the cost of goods here. So it's like... It, yeah. it was ridiculous. It it's, I don't work. know if the number will ever match up, and that's why we focused on things unique to us, and we do it with the pride and love that we do is just to try to differentiate ourselves, to reach another echelon of what it is on the market. And reach the people that really are looking for something different that aren't just THC hunters. My analogy is it, it's like college kids on a budget partying are going to buy whatever's on sale natural ice whatever beer they can get that's as cheap that has the highest amount of alcohol to get buzz as cheap as possible and that seems to be where the market is but that's not just those people that's just kind of what's getting promoted and what what we're hoping there's a market for are the uh, the 10 to 20 percent of the people that are are past that that are looking for things that they remember as a child or or a strain that was lost or or just enjoying something that's not known, not mainstream because it tastes good, not because someone said you should go buy that. So, Discerning enough to yeah. recognize that it's about their user experience. And for me, I have enjoyed for so long being able to share whatever cultivars I have with someone and be able to tell them a story just like someone who's been to a vineyard and met the winemaker, you know, being able to describe the drive to this place and to then show them a almost black looking flower that's like, this was the most amazing shade of purple, you know, and just being able to talk somebody through that experience, it changes the experience they have smoking it and how they feel about it. You know, it, all of that stuff matters. And 
I feel like that just has gotten lost. We're making concessions way too often now to where like this industry is starting to lose its face. Absolutely. Well, it is. So sun grown is priced to sell. It's priced as cheap as it can, but people are still buying $85 eighths of indoor because someone it's a, it's a hype thing because someone's rapping about it or, but really realistically, if you do want to find, you know, sun grown quality it's going to be affordable so you know we're hoping that even though um people aren't as educated as they should be yet that they will be and then they can also get a good deal on good medicine you know basically for them well and you say saying that it's affordable and i know a number of farmers like you were just saying the cost of goods is more than what they're trying to give me for this and you know last year i believe was when you know people are selling 350 dollar pounds are you kidding taxes or what on a pound 161 yeah i think it's uh, rising maybe it's 164 by now so how do you reckon that like you know and once you're in a regenerative model you shouldn't have a lot of input costs right because all of that stuff is coming you know from your land or trade with other farmers for you know wood shavings or manure or whatever but how how has it been the last couple of years dealing with that and you want to take this one (laughs) you mean um, lowering cogs is the biggest thing right now it's um it it's a skeleton crew and it's a family farm around here. And so the, it's been really important to raise quality and lower the cost of goods. And so um, like refining what the nutrient management plan looked like was big. And so Dirty Business Soil did um, the recommendations and lowered the the price that usually the nutrients do cost. And that was really good. Oh, that was amazing. Did a great job. Really kept everything very green for us. And what is the name of this company? Dirty Business Soil in Arcata. Both great ladies up there, and they're um, really helping systematize the data collection and um, helping with all sorts of reports, uh, reporting what we put in as far as teas go and top dressings and all our um, inputs and even the scouting logs and stuff. And so it's been in the vein of getting a true understanding of what the cost of goods is and making the efficiencies as high as possible. So with this company, can you share your like soil testing or whatever and yep. be and able... They do recommendations based on the soil test. They're not the lab anymore, but they're the recommendations based on the lab numbers. Nice. They do um, leaf analysis as well and put together integrated pest management programs as well. Mm-hmm. So they're like all um, aspects of the cultivation process. Yeah, definitely. From ground up. Yep. And so everything they do, it's all natural, you know, no salts, that kind of thing. It's a good question. I know that they knew we're organic, so like they may have tailored it, but I can't say that they are dogmatic in that approach. True. I wouldn't doubt it, but I just don't know. I'm sure they could work with whatever you re- you want to work with as well. Like if you're a salt person, they could probably recommend that. But knowing that we were organic, that they gave us that solution. Yeah. You know, people just constantly are putting Band-Aids on things in life in general. But, you know, especially farming, I feel like it's what I've seen growing up on a ranch and it being the big ag version, 
It's like everything is a Band-Aid. And so being able to really understand your soil, it's actually getting to the root of the problems that happen in farms. And I just feel like that changes the whole game. I mean, sure, you still have Mother Nature to contend with, but at least you're setting yourself up for success. Exactly. So much is in the setup. And then it's expressive. Like this plant expresses exactly what you give or don't give it. Setup and maintenance, yep. really. This cues we get the good setup, but that doesn't mean it's going to work for every plant all the way through. So now we got to keep an eye on it and adjust accordingly. So there's maintenance involved, but for the most part, it's you know it's straightforward. All right. So now let's. That just made me think about your setup here. So you have number twenty six in this one. Garden number Garden one. one. Has it been in other places and now it's landed there and that's where it's staying? Like, have y'all tested out the different bed and hoops? Well, we've had it in garden two as well and, and we have it in hoops as well. So it's all over the place. Okay. Yeah, it's it been is. all over the, the farm here. Okay. So then at the end, when y'all harvest all this stuff, then you can compare from each of those. Yep. And that's mm-hmm. what Colin did last year was a test of the indoor that's how we found the longer term sun grown versus the shorter term plant had a huge difference in the turf profile okay sun grown one obviously full term sun grown took yes by 40 percent more turps than the uh, younger plant that was also sun grown but just a, a much smaller younger plant like two and a half months versus you know four months not in native ground in an engineered bag mix well that's a three-year-old bag mix though yep too all right see that stuff's fascinating would you have those um the pdf of those that i might be able to share in the show notes just so people can see somewhere yeah i would have it somewhere i'd have to because you know it's just like the proof's in the pudding like if we have the data just side by side. This is what it looks like. You can't oh, argue with it. Mm-hmm. Oh, you mean the testing data? I was thinking all the way down to the soil testing data. But yeah, the terp tests, we have those. Yep. Yeah. And the more data, the more it'll get confirmed or not. Like it, w- there's questions always, but like this was just the first test that r- put a big question mark on things. So what are you excited about this year or what's on your mind right now as y'all are getting ready to harvest everything? It's a good time of year. Yeah, we've um, we've planted later than ever. Um, we've got smaller plants than ever and our quality control is, is at 100% right now. So... We've got a manageable crop this year that we're going to get the best of the best out of it. And it doesn't matter how many pounds, it's how much quality we can really get out of the square footage that we have. With, of course, the yield, but it's not so much yield, it's so much quality. So we're excited about the quality. Um, Working with my kids all year, Working with Reg, it's just great at the end of the year to to sit back and look at the work that you've done. Here it all comes down to this moment, you know, and enjoy it because it's almost over. It's a couple of weeks of like smiles and high fives just because we made it through the year. And then it turns back into work. <laughs> Harvest time, curing, drying. Um, we're really big on on the, the drying and curing process because you can grow really good herb but there's very few people that know how to 
cure it and store it and dry it correctly. So there's a lot of a lot that goes into it after it's all like harvest. Woo! All right, we're done. We're not done. Yeah, not even close. We're far yeah. from done. So what are your tips or tricks for drying and curing? Well, I'm a blue belt in jiu-jitsu, and one of the black belt's sayings is you, you can't teach everybody everything you know. So some things have to be held secret. <laughs> <laughs> Moisture management, just like the whole part of the process, it, this whole dance with the plant from the seed to the herb to every part of it is moisture management and staying within your bounds and not locking it up too wet and not opening it. If you do lock it up too wet, it's like a surefire way to lock in too much moisture and brown your stuff out. Like that's number one. Is there something for someone who's just at home and where you can check the moisture levels, yep. some sort of meter? Water activity meter, but they're about 2000 bucks. Oh, it's just as easy to, for a home person to add a Bovida because it keeps it within 58 to 62, whatever their preferred is, to add some sort of moisture pack, humidity pack. For the home grower, that's easier than worrying about where it's at. But really, you smoke it, you feel where it's at, you like put it in containment, you open it up if you're a home grower at some point, like earlier on to see if like much moisture has come out of the inside of the bud. And then you keep it where you want it. And you don't let it dry out too much. You don't let it get too moist. But it's better to let it dry out a little if you're worried about color more than Depends too on where you are and yeah. what your weather is and where you have things stored and how it's stored and what it's stored in. There's a lot of factors. Curing has been oftentimes a very intensive process. But I remember for years curing it, like locking in a little more, starting the cure by putting it in containment a little early and then opening it and it would smell like the curing smell, I called it, a little different. I would leave it open in a dry environment till it smelled like that flower that I wanted again and then I would close it back up. But it was an everyday affair sometimes. At the beginning, it was like two, three times if I had a lot of moisture in there. Yeah, you really... Depends on your moisture that you when you contain it of what happens after that. And you have a wonderful facility for drying. I remember there constantly being just like some air blowing through. You had fans going. So is having that air movement in the room important? Yeah, absolutely. You, you know, you're you're going to bring in fresh herb into your room. You're going to raise your humidity, and so having having the air flowing is going to equalize that humidity with what's in the room and then also like using the outdoor environment to to help increase flow and also shutting it up when it's moist outside to keep what's dry inside dry and then just constantly checking in on it with the weather. Uh, this morning was 99% humidity. So until about 11 o'clock, the sun didn't come out. So now we're changing the hours that we open the doors and get the air flowing in there. And so it's just a constant balance with Mother Nature. Mm -hmm. Are y'all doing any testing on how you're letting the flower age? Like, say, let's keep talking about Canna Country 26. Like, do you have some that you've had for a couple of years where you test? We do. We have some antique and some vintage, and they hold up really well. For a purple strain, typically it'll turn brown as it gets aged, 
and there's nothing wrong with that necessarily um, but the 26 really holds up on the on the color and the the nose is also there uh, really does preserve well mm-hmm. and the terps are just they scream off of it still well and i ask that because there are certain cultivars that i have and then I love them so much, I don't want to be without it. So I probably have about 50 different cultivars, and some of them may only have one bud left in that jar, but I just like start at the bottom and pull off whatever I need to have one small bowl of it. And, you know, I don't get to test the stuff I have. It's just, you know, you smoke it. But I'm curious if you tested it and you were able to see how the cannabinoids and terpenes were evolving. I think human testing is, is even better. The user experience. How was the user experience, you know? We have seen the, the harvest point as we were talking and the way it was growing, having a huge effect on terpenes, and we know that, and even some effect on the cannabinoids. But that could be a product of the testing and them not being totally on as well because, like, it's tough to keep things totally consistent on that level. Absolutely. But the um, the 26, in fact, has a way of preserving itself. It, it reminds me of a old strain that's back in its lineage on the male side, known as the HP-13 on Maui. It was um, from Colorado to New York, where it was kind of famous in New York around the late 90s and early 2000s, and then it was on Maui since then. And it was just one of those strains, no matter if it was indoor, outdoor, if you tried to mess it up if you sat on it if you left it in a hot car a year down the line you open it up and it was the p it was the p it was just and i've looked at a test now and the hp 13 had high osamine as well which is like the question has been where did this osamine come from and it must have just stroked something from like like on both sides of the equation or it brought something out because the pea was a very hard flavor to lock down in the crosses especially because it got crossed with the maui flavor and that maui terpenoline limonene is really dominant and that didn't show up in this in the selection of the 26 but the osamine did and the well, osamine it, I- and it did without the terpenoline which is usually connected so it's kind of hard to, to taste the osamine when it's combined with either, uh, was it terpenoline that it was? No, with? I don't. Or beta caryophylline? think beta caryophylline is the number two in the 26. Right. And that's where the flavor similarity to the tang or to the uh, forbidden fruit is, is the beta caryophylline and the limonene. But in this one, depending again on which edition it is, linalool was the third highest mm-hmm. um, terpene at times and, and right. limonene at other times. SC Labs was saying to us, I think Alec was saying that there there are some strains with osamine in it, but this one was so dominant by itself. Six times higher than beta caryophyll. That, that was the rare part of it. Yep. Like, osamine's not that rare. The, the, the spike of its own is rare. Yeah, and less than 1% of their tests was dominant in osamine. Exactly. So that flavor, you know, could be in there, but it's dominated by a different terp, so you don't really get it out like the 26. So we're not sure exactly what that osamine tastes like, you know, um, exactly because there's so many flavors in the 26 that it's hard to pinpoint what does osamine taste like. I don't really know. 
to be honest. We know with some similarities because the number three has it in it as well. And you can kind of taste this sweetness and a little of the osamine, which, or a little similarities, which must be the osamine is what I'm connecting. But, you know, it's, it's kind of a mystery still. Yeah, I wish I had a terpene wheel in front of me right now. Because <laughs> I'm like, what is osamine supposed to taste like? Floral, woodsy, a little fruity. A little spicy. Yep. To me, it reminded me of uh, the Jamaican lilikoi, we call it on Maui, which is um, known as bell apple a lot of the world in Jamaica, for instance. And it's uh, the velvet lilikoi, and it's not as sour as the passion fruits that are the yellow and the and the um, purple passion fruit. It's a peach-colored skin, kind of fuzzy. And it just nails that. And I looked up the terpenes of the, of the bell apple, and osamine was in there, beta-osamine, in fact. Nice. Yeah. That's cool. One of the things that when I am smoking with someone and they open a jar of something and then they just leave it out, leave it open, smoking, and I'm just like, no, get that lid back on that jar. You know, I think there's so much that we don't do once we get the cannabis home with us to really preserve the quality of the terpene profile. Yeah, take out what you use and put the rest away. Immediately. Or for the next time you roll or get a bong toke or whatever. But yeah, you treat it as you're storing it. So you want to store it, but take out what you're going to use and use it. Put it away. That's your best bet for getting your quality and keeping your moisture and keeping your terps alive. Is just taking care of it once you have it. And I keep everything in glass jars i like to have the you know the dark ones but if i don't i keep everything in wine boxes so my glass jars are in a wine box so it's like you know yeah dark and cool is Mm -hmm. what you want to find a good home for it well hopefully i'll find a good home for some of your flower before i leave (laughs) 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 well is there anything that we didn't talk about that really sets canna country apart that you want to highlight well these days probably the breeding because um, like we kind of touched on it and we did some theme breeding and we just did a bunch of feminized seeds because that's what, um, especially for home gardeners and people who want to grow their own and commercial farmers, everybody wants feminized stock these days. Amen. So they don't yeah. have to pull males. Yeah. I know everyone can love a female. Well, and it's <laughs> hard to sex something when, you know, I mean, there's been a, a few things that my sister and I were growing there where they were hermaphrodites it's like wait a minute is this female male nope those look like balls like what's happening here you know and so (laughs) yeah you see that early not later (laughs) right so it's just one of those things where yeah please take that guesswork out for me i just want my challenge to be growing it well you could still end up with some herms on a feminized seed this depends on who you bought it from and what they're doing with it and how stable those genetics are like um, if it's something that had a, a low threshold for environmental stress that would make it herm, then it's like you're using the wrong one. And what I've been seeing is it's it's often if your donor is solid, it's often more about the female um, that whether or not she is solid. So even if something's not a herm, like I've seen some things with chem in it that like chem's got herm in its background and a portion of those stressed out turned herms. Yeah. But it's, it's uh, the environment they're being grown in often is so different than the environment they were seeded in or really tested in. And that's a big difference. I think that may have been, that's probably what our issue is. Yeah, it's so unique, yeah, your environment. It totally be, yeah, that hot days, hot nights. 
might just be stressing it out. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing you can do about that. I mean, Switch where I am, you just got to get a, di- yeah. Yeah, get a different strain, try a different thing. See if you find the one that works there. Yeah, That's kind of part of the project. And if there was an event that gave rise to it, you can pick the balls off sometimes and it will not continue to herm. Sometimes they will continue to herm if they're just a herm, for instance. Sometimes they won't open and pollinate. Sometimes they'll just be a banana. Yeah, or sterile, like a lot of sativas. Interesting. Yeah. Huh. I mean, it's one of those things where when, you know, you're not growing very many. It's just like, fuck it, get it out of (laughs) here. But um, that would be interesting to try that experiment. Yep. So we did, uh, we used one donor of our number 30 was a donor for breeding and she is very lime green, really high in alpha pinene, limonene and beta pinene and like grows like a, a faceted diamond really. She's hard, lime green and resilient and has, is very unique in the, in the way that she's uh, dominated by alpha pinene. So we chose some of the really lime green ones that we run, like the number nine, our highest THC. And we did kind of a lime green high THC batch as one of the crossbreeds. And we did the blueberry or grape nose that's really easy to lock down in those terpenes. That's a kind of a dominant terpene category or, or flavor profile. I should say we did that with a bunch of the different blueberry crosses together. And, and some used, OG crosses with those as well. And so we kind of had our our patterns of different flavors that we were crossing into. So the limes, because, you know, the alpha and beta pining, those are like my focus weed. What happened with those? How did they turn out? Well, we've harvested the seeds and now we're to shuck them. And then the next thing will be to do stability testing before we get them out. But that was the theme was lime green in color, not flavor, but lime greenies. We have the 30 that we have the original, which is the the number 30. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's the thing that when we first started talking and you were saying, you know, if if you're not growing the flavor of the month, you've been kind of screwed before. And when I first moved to California, I guess that was nine years ago, it was more of a you know, green and gassy phase, then move into a purple phase. And I feel like pinks are a thing now. And so it has been an interesting journey, just being here and seeing how that's changed. But for me, I smoke what feels good. I don't give a shit what everybody else thinks cool. Right. Um, But when you're just going into a dispensary, you... you Yeah, it's overwhelming. mm -hmm. And so if you have something that you can know that you like and you go oh okay well do you have that you know you're going to get close to what you want but if you go in there and looking for something new i always go in and um i know what i already like from this farm but i'm going to look around and see what else i can find from another farm that's close to that and if i can't find it i always go back to that farm so hopefully people do the same are y'all doing any collaborations with the other small farmers in the area? Like, what are y'all doing around here to kind of help and support each other through this crazy phase? Oh, good question. Bringing like, each other's herb to the show, really trying to get get them in places. We're we're all we're all helping each other. We had a meeting um, down south with the woods, um, Woody Harrelson's dispensary. 
And uh, we went down with a team of farmers and we all repped each other. So and that's the way it works with our community is like it, we're all struggling and we're all trying to find some angle, but we're all bringing each other with us. So we're going there with five to seven farms that are all the same quality with the same principles and the same mindset that, that we're going there with. And, and we're, we're shopping their stuff and, and they get an opportunity to talk to someone, they're shopping our stuff. And so it's been great to bring the community back together and get back to our roots. Um, a lot of us are so busy, so wrapped up in the more, more, more game, trying to keep up with the demand that now that demands it's everywhere. Now we're back to just what brought us here in the first place, which is just all our community helping each other and coming up with things, doing things that we like to do and, and growing strains that we like, because that's always been there that's what got us here in the first place yeah now what about the family angle because you have two sons that are yeah my mom started me off when i was young um just introduced me it was never for her she always had a job it wasn't her main job and it was just something she loved to do and she had a few plants in the garden but she helped me fall in love with this plant and now i have two boys and uh so we're a third generation farm we have three generations working on this farm to see the boys to be, to think about my kids, um, seeing the whole, they've really seen the whole thing. I mean, not really my childhood, but they've seen it go from like this big demand, this big thing into like what it is now a survival mode. And they're as passionate about it now as ever. So to see that, it really, you know, hits home and it just shows what kind of character we are up here. Like no matter what, we're uh, all about family and quality and fishing <laughs> and farming. Yeah. When we talked before and you mentioned having to have that tough conversation with the boys of like, you know, who knows how long we get to do this. Yeah, it's an awful conversation to have, like... <clears throat> but it came down to working with Reggie and and asking my kids if this is what they wanted to do and getting the feedback from them is like we want to do this we we want to make it work we're really going to try our best this year or, or are we taking the year off or are we done all all together and so to have them support our family by putting it out there and working every day and not knowing if they're getting paid doing it because they love it <clears throat> and they want to succeed and they want, they want to continue doing what they're doing is it's been a really emotional time for me because I've always been able to like, it's going to be okay. I, we I'll, I'll make it work to now. I don't know if I can make it work. I don't know if this is going to work at all. What do you, you guys want to do this or not? You know, um, so it's been quite the adventure going from, you know, a successful farm to watching the whole market just fall apart and not having the future be very certain and having my kids being able to, to express that they still want to try like that. That's amazing to me. That is amazing. And I'm fifth generation on my family's ranch in West Texas and I went home to help you know because I'm like this is important to me I don't 
I don't want us selling more land. I want to help me figure out what I can do to help us. And, um, and having a very different conversation with my family of, you know, them just being, being old and being done and just not wanting my help. Yeah. And so that was tough. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. So, you know, for me, I'm just like, well, I guess I just have to wait for people to die to <laughs> then have a chance of maybe doing something. Like, it, that feels terrible. Yeah. Like, I would want to do it with my dad. So right. I'm thrilled to have met your boys and to know that y'all all want to do this together. I mean, shit, this is emotional for me talking about it. Yeah. Um, but that's fucking hard. That yep. this is what you do. Yeah. This is your life. This is our life. This is, and we're bringing the best of the best of the best to people. And then, you know, it's, it's just a, hopefully a matter of time before they see that. Yeah. But, um, that's been the struggle. Yeah. And educated consumers, the most powerful thing that we have to fix yep. this, right. You know, Word right. Of mouth the is the most powerful marketing. And I know that, once people try this herb, they're going to tell somebody else about it. It's just a matter of time. But um, the struggle's been trying to get it out to the people, which has just really been like a, a challenge, the hardest challenge. And, you know, it's we're up against big corporate money. And so we're just little homebody farmers that... Yeah know what the hell we're doing and we know how to grow efficiently and we know how to grow with nature and it's just a, a struggle to get it to this point and then have it not go forward yeah you know um so yeah, if people tough. want to find canna country support canna country you know be a megaphone in their own communities how can they find you we're working on websites um where we do have some local dispensaries with our product in it um there's some down south we're really scattered out and we're trying to get it all to a point where we have a website that shows all of our strains our plant you know and, and our gear and data involved and then kind of branch out from there but right now really if you want to find can of country it's sort of tough you're kind of have to be in my neck of the woods in humble is where we have the majority of our flower we're in joe's pot shop the cannabis country club sortori wellness um proper wellness and the heart of emerald and then i think the woods and there's a couple other dispensaries herba yeah. down now, south this opens up an excellent invitation then when you're traveling when you're choosing your holiday destination you know consider traveling to the emerald triangle this is one of the most beautiful places on earth definitely mysterious and you can have a one-of-a-kind experience and try some of the best cannabis in the world like that's a reason to go visit a place and then you get to bring that home and have that conversation just like you would you know popping a cork on a bottle of wine yeah exactly yeah i i actually have a airbnb in shelter cove that i just got on high bnb so it's kind of like promoting um can of country in a way as well yeah. so come to the lost coast and here's your your package of flavors and uh have a great time i love it and with casually baked i 
have an invitation all the time for people to fill out a, a travel form. Tell me what you like, where you want to go, and I'll be your tour guide. Like, <laughs> awesome. I'm always down for a good road trip. Like, yeah. where are we going? Well, we got trails around here, lots of trails. Lost Coast, 25 miles. We got the Avenue of the Giants. I mean, it's just a beautiful place to be. Yes, it is. And thank you so much for sharing part of your Sunday with me, guys. Yeah, thank you. Yay. Thanks for coming up. Yes, certainly. Now let's go walk through the garden. Uh, yes. Awesome. My favorite. I hope this conversation inspires you to travel all the way to Northern California to purchase full-term flour from Canna Country and other small family farms. Cannabis tourism might be the only thing that keeps these legacy farms afloat. So keep that in mind when you're choosing your next vacation spot. And if you're already planning some girls' trip or celebration in wine country, level up the experience with a private tour of weed country. I'd love to be your host in Cannabis Lifestyle Guide. So head over to the podcast 234 show notes at casuallybaked.com to learn more. As always, if you want to connect or collaborate, email your messages, requests, or can of curious questions through the website or DM me on social. When I'm there, I'm at Casually Baked on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, The Weed Tube, and Truth Social. However you decide to support our highly responsible cannabis movement, thank you for doing your part to Puff Puff Pass yes, It On. Is a high time. Casually Baked the Podcast was created, recorded, and produced by yours truly. Editing and sound design are in the capable hands of Jamie Humiston at PodConnects. The podcast theme music is by my highly talented friend Seth Walker. If you aren't familiar with Seth's music, you can find High Time on his album Gotta Get Back, wherever you're buying your music these days. I know he didn't create high time for me, but it sure as shit sounds like he did, right? I hope you'll tune in next time. Thanks for hanging out. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, I'm Gary, and I invite you to discover the Cannabis Podcast, a bi-weekly podcast focused on a Canadian's cannabis culture. I would be the Canadian and my cannabis passion and culture has been building for five decades. I share that passion for this wonderful plant in every episode, through conversations with cannabis advocates and enthusiasts, stories about the ever-changing legal environment, and some hands-on testing of product in a segment I call Cultivar Corner. The Cannabis Podcast, a Canadian's cannabis culture, one toke at a time.